I'm having a good time. You know what? It's nice to have our buddies in studio. Jeff and Brent are here with us today. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. Well, hi. Hey. It was interesting because uh, Brent was coming from somewhere in Canada, and Jeff was coming from California. And the question was, which one of them would get here first? Both had to go through like a little bit of winter wonderland for a bit. Um, and somehow, actually, and I don't really know how the math worked out on this, Brent got here first. I actually choose to lie when I leave, uh, so that way I have this slick advantage <laughs> over them Jeff. Off. Yeah, yeah, those Californians. <laughs> That's what it was. Jeff, I know how you drive, too. So you, I mean, you're kind of like, you go, 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 and then you stop for emergency body functions and gas. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I thought I actually had my money on you. Because yeah, <laughs> here I am, like, stopping and taking in the Columbia River yeah, and slowly taking a jaunt and, like, just kind of taking it in. If yeah, Brent no wasn't rush. lying, he was three hours ahead of me, and then all of a sudden I was an hour ahead of him. But then he got here ten minutes before me. <laughs> pretty great. I tell you, keep them guessing. You know what? You do. I like it, and it was nice because I was already here at the studio. Um, it was a Saturday, but we were we were hanging out here at the studio, and I hadn't told any. I hadn't told Levi that Brent was coming, and when that door opened up and Brent came walking through, Levi was so <laughs> excited to see him. He was jumping all over. Him. Oh, sweet! Yeah, I got both ears licked. Yeah, not not anybody gets that. I know. You know. See, that's why I'm saying, Wes, you got to lick both ears. Hello, friends, and welcome into your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hello, gentlemen. And we have a special guest in studio. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Hey, buddy. Welcome in. Coming up on the show today, we're going to share our thoughts on Ubuntu and Flavors officially removing Flatpak and taking a pretty clear stance. And we'll also talk about the recently announced efforts by GNOME and by KDE to turn FlatHub into the universal Linux app store. And they're throwing some serious money behind the effort as well. And it's finally arrived, guys. After weeks of waiting for Linux 6.2 to ship and Mesa, we have the Intel Arc installed, in studio, and tested. We'll tell you about this dedicated Intel graphics card with fully open source drivers and We'll talk about if this could be the ticket to truly unlock a rock-solid Linux desktop. We'll share our thoughts and some tests that we've done. And then we'll round it all out with some great boosts, some picks, and a lot more. So before we get there, let's say good morning to our friends over at Tailscale! Tailscale.com, y'all. It's a mesh VPN protected by WireGuard. It's a flat network that you can get up in moments. We love it. It'll change your networking game. Go say good morning to our friends over at Tailscale and try it for free for up to 20 devices at tailscale.com. Before we get into the show, though, I got to say time-appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Welcome in. Hello, friends. Good evening. Howdy. Hello, hello, everybody. So nice to have you here. It's Jeff, you and I are on the other side of the Mumble Room. Yeah, I almost said hello right there. <laughs> Traitor. <laughs> it's slowly happening. Last week, we pulled in Casey. This week, we've got Jeff. Coming for you. Nexus Minimac. Yeah, Mini Mac. When are we gonna get you? Yeah, out here? just a little trip. Yeah, we got to get Dan out here eventually too. We got, we got to. This is something we got to make happen. We got to make that happen. The Mumble Meetup. Ooh, that's even alliterative. Mm, I like that. I tell you. Well, until we get there, we do have the in-person meetup. We're kind of celebrating a little bit for Linux Unplugged 500 next week. So the day before Saturday, March fourth, 
4 p.m. We're going to get together at the 192 Brewing Company in Mount Vernon, Washington. Yeah, I know. It's a weird spot, but you know what? I love these guys, and I want to give this company some business. It's a little local brewery in my hometown. So come celebrate episode 500 with some brews. They got indoor, outdoor seating. Um, They got kid-friendly stuff. My kids are going to be there. And uh, the venue also has food. Dog-friendly, too, I think. It is, sir. It is. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting for the LUP 500 details next weekend. Rumor has it the Bitcoin dad will be there, too. Oh, great. Oh, mm. that's fun. Yep, yep. I'm I'm glad. And, of course, you guys are all going to be there, too. I, I'm actually quite excited about this, and I can't believe it's happening. Like, how is it? Yeah, I don't think I fully processed already? 500 episodes, either. It's it's a weird thing. Wes, though, is totally non-phased by it. Wes, like, it's just a number. I can tell just over there. Just a number. <laughs> Come on, Wes, get me excited. Get me all hyped up about it. I'm looking forward to episode 1000, personally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, too. It's like the next order of magnitude sort of thing. <laughs> I know. I agree. I agree. If anything, I wish we could just do more shows and get there faster. You know, that's how I feel about it. But um, come celebrate if you can. And if you can't, maybe join us. Consider joining us live next Sunday. We will be doing episode 500 live Sunday at uh, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at jupiter.tube. And if you want to send us a message to celebrate episode 500, boost in with uh, at least 9,529 sats because we are at 9.5 years of the show. You're welcome to boost more. You just didn't have to tell me it's for episode 500. And then uh, we'll set all those boosts aside and read them on the big 500, which is kind of a special moment to get your boost read on episode 500. And I have to say, although it's fine, but it would be a special treat if we got a couple of baller boosts and we got to the top of the charts for episode 500. To see 500 at the top of the charts would be really something. The challenge is the amount of sats is getting up there now because uh, the, the it's taken off. Right. And so some big boosts are landing on these other shows, which is great to see. But it just means it takes a little bit more to get to the top of the charts these days. But it would be a nice treat to see 500 at the top. Now, um, with Linux 6.2 that came out last Sunday as we were recording the show, a lot of really good stuff landed. So much stuff that we almost just wanted to try to pack it all in, but we realized we couldn't. But uh, some great improvements to ButterFS, both in performance, but also in RAID 5.6 capabilities. And a lot of patches to get us closer to Apple Silicon graphics and and uh, internal chips and uh, um, even closer to like Wi-Fi and all that stuff working really solid. Really great to see the, just sort of the, the upstreaming work done by yeah. the project as they said they would do. It's getting there, guys. It's getting there. It's really nice to see. And uh, so 6.2 is a big deal for those reasons, right? But for us here, we were really excited about Linux 6.2 because that meant that the Intel Arc graphics would go from experimental to officially blessed and without having to do any weird flags or anything like that on your system and PPAs or whatever you might do to get special versions of Mesa installed, without having to do any of that, if you have Mesa 22.5 and later and Linux 6.2, out of the box, the Intel dedicated ARCs graphics works. And it's a big deal. Um, so much so after the show last week. And just after 6.2 dropped, I was pressuring you to just put it in right before that. You were like, smartly, you were like, no, no, I'll, I'll do it after Coder. That's true. Although you don't, I almost did do it. I was like, yeah, I, I kind of want to, but I should wait to make sure Coder gets out. So I've been, I've been sort of just standing on pinbreaks over here waiting to hear how it yeah. went. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really thrilled. And I think, you know, I should just give a little bit of a mention that Intel creating its own dedicated graphics card has an interesting and windy history. 
they've tried this before. And people were, were skeptical that Intel would even ever ship the Arc. But it's here, it's real, and it's glorious. Um, I have it installed on my system. It's not a crazy system. It's a like a 6th Gen i7. It's not a necessarily blow-away box. And the experience was really, truly exactly what I was hoping for. I wanted to be able to put a graphics card in, and I want to turn computer on, and I want graphics working. And that's it. I don't want to do more work than that. And that's what the Arc gives me. And it means full Wayland compatibility. It means full open source driver stack. So I'm running Plasma 527 on Wayland using all open source video drivers on the Intel Arc. And all I had to do was have Linux 6.2 and Mesa 22.5. And the desktop feels snappier and, and just more responsive than it has in years. So that part is all like really good news, right? That's like, I'm happy to report if your benchmark is you want a really nice, solid running Linux workstation with a fully accelerated desktop and an accelerated browser and things like that. I'm here to report with Linux 6.2 and Mesa 22.2. Really, maybe you should think about 22.5 and later. It's here. However, there are some caveats. <laughs> I knew it couldn't be too good. No, in fact, the first ones you brought up, Wes, is a lot of the stuff that we're playing with these days, like Stable Diffusion, Whisper for transcription. They're really focused on like the NVIDIA cards and stuff like that. And they don't even run out of the box on the Intel stuff, do they? No, there, there's some things you can do, but you have to, you know. It was really nice to see some of these open source tools where they had, you know, the little communities that have sprung up around them have got just slick little setups. You run a script or you pull down a Docker container and you've got access to this without having to under, understand Conda or how to install the right packages to get acceleration working besides maybe making sure you pass in a, you know, a graphics card device to your container. Sure, something. sure. So these are containers that are kind of already set up like with the Intel PyTorch stuff or? Well, yeah. And I mean, we've seen them used. There's like a couple different options for like easy web web containers with Whisper or there's all kinds of web UIs for stable diffusion and the Docker stuff handles like getting the models and standing everything up and making it a really easy process that's quite accessible. And I think that's where you're going to run into some issues if you're hoping that'll just all work with the Arc. Mm -hmm. um, there mm -hmm. are something called the Intel extensions for PyTorch. Um, so if you have a PyTorch or TensorFlow model, it looks like you can use those to sort of optimize the models either for Intel CPUs, but also for Intel GPUs. And uh, Shufflebox over in our uh, Matrix chat did some benchmarkings and was playing around with it and getting getting it to use, getting it to work with Whisper. Um, so it seems like it's pretty easy. You kind of just got to go install the Py the Intel extension for PyTorch, load it, and then like add a couple two or three lines of code that goes and says like, hey, make sure we optimize this model for the Intel GPU. Okay. So I think these are things that you should be aware of um, because it is maybe a little extra step or two to get it working on an Intel graphics card than it might be if you had an NVIDIA card in your system. It does seem like that there's some hope of that changing, at least on the open source stuff. You know, I've seen a lot of open pull requests or issues discussing like, how might we do this? I did find something called stable diffusion dot open vino which seems to work and mm -hmm. run accelerated on intel gpus so yeah. it's coming online it's just like not going to be quite as easy as maybe you're used to if you did some dabbling on an nvidia system but don't you get the sense that this is just early days that it, it because it is open source because it's just integrated into the system eventually these things are going to update and it's all just kind of going to be supported like neil points out in the chat room that fedora 38 for example is going to ship with 6.2 
and and a later Mesa. And so it just means on a Fedora 38 system, Arc's going to work out of the box. And isn't that just kind of going to be the way all this open source stuff will work is inevitably you won't have to run the Intel version of this to make it go? I mean, it does seem like there's a lot of incentive there because it is easy to change. It is open, right? People can start submitting requests and do some of the legwork to make it happen. And then also, I think there's something about the the right price point and functionality of this card and interest like you have. Maybe you don't need like a super beefy thing. You want something to accelerate your your desktop, but it would be nice to also maybe run, you know, do a little acceleration on the side. Seems like a lot of people are picking them up, which will further help, you know, have motivation for people to actually make them compatible. Slowly but surely, right? I mean, that's kind of as people get it and that kind of thing. I hope so. Uh, I All right. So moving away from do you want a rock solid desktop and you just want all of your desktop applications to work great and, and be well performant for a reasonable price. Moving beyond that, let's talk a little bit about gaming here. And I should mention, uh, because I think this is definitely worth considering, is I have, thanks to listener Nev, the Intel A380. This is a budget-priced card. You can find this card for under $200 right now for a dedicated GPU in a market where GPUs are crazy expensive, right? So uh, I just want to make that aside, that this is not meant for high-end performance gaming. This is budget-oriented. And to that end, I experienced pretty lackluster gaming results, I have to say. With a few exceptions, um, a few like open source games, like uh, um, a couple open source op- uh, first person shooters that worked pretty well that are based on the Quake 3 engine. Uh. Yeah, those worked fine. But even older games like Batman Arkham Asylum or uh, No Man's Sky were no go. No Man's Sky and Batman Arkham Asylum, they work, they load. You can move around, but the frame rate's just kind of unusable. But they do actually load. So the reason why that matters is because it means all of the Vulcan driver stuff is working. All the acceleration stuff is working. It's working with Steam. It's, you know, compatible with Proton. All that stuff matters. I think if I got a a higher end arc, I would have had better results. But what I wanted to set out to answer was, could this be a good production card? Something you throw in a machine that's your workstation, that is a machine that's at a job site, something like that. Because... I have over here this Thalia with 13th gen Intel CPUs in it. And I dream of an, of a world, not because I'm some sort of Intel fanboy, but because of the practicality, I dream of a world where it's all Intel, Intel MVMEs, Intel CPU, Intel chipset, Intel network card, Intel GPU, and it's a dedicated GPU. And that has to be a stable stack because Intel for better or for worse, you know, I mean, you can, I, I'm really not happy with the software unlocking of the CPU stuff, I have to put that aside because they are good, reliable, upstream, open source contributors. And their stuff just gets built into the kernel, right? And that that makes a difference. So I really am pretty quite impressed with the ARC 380 if you have all of the prerequisites. If you want to try it on a system that doesn't have Linux 6.2 and Mesa 22.2, you're not going to have a good time. But you just cross that, that threshold. And now I'm over here living it up on Wayland because I was able to replace a system that was NVIDIA and X11. And now I'm on uh, Wayland. I got plasma. It's so smooth on Wayland. Everything is nice. My screen tearing's gone. You know, I'm very happy with it. So for a budget, for a budget card to just run your desktop applications, I give the A380 the unplugged thumbs up. 
And I'm kind of excited to be talking about this in 499 because it feels like a new era. If Intel sticks with this for a while and people and the market actually responds, this is a new era for Linux users. Linode.com slash unplugged. That's where you go to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And it's a great way to support the show while you are checking out fast, reliable cloud hosting that does it like nobody else in the business. This show really is made possible by you taking advantage of our sponsors, and Linode is one that we enthusiastically endorse, and they've stuck around for as long as they have, because the more of you that try it, the more of you that like it. Linode really clicks with our audience, because they do it in a way that I think is starting to become a little bit more niche. You know, you can get access to an entire system, you can tear it down to the metal and build it back up, or you can do one-click deployments. You get access to sort of like whole ingredients when it comes to Linode. Do you know, do you get what I'm saying with that? You get access to like the whole thing. And if you've got 25 years of racking and stacking, or if this is the first time you've ever done it, they have a UI that's going to work with you. Their mission has really remained unchanged since the very beginning. Make cloud computing accessible and affordable. And it's led to just a best-in-class experience because the product has had to survive on its own merits. And now here we are, you know, almost 19 years later, and it's just a fantastic product. It's why we deploy everything we build on Linode. I want performance, I want reliability, and I want great support. So go take advantage of our $100 today and try it out. Go to linode.com slash unplugged. Kick the tires and see for yourself why we like it so much. A couple of things that really stand out to me their S3 compatible object storage is an essential part of life now. I can't tell you how useful that is. They have bare metal servers if you need to go that way, cloud firewalls so the traffic never hits your rig, a powerful DNS manager making it easy to assign names to your machines, and Kubernetes support that they are serious about. In fact, they have just updated recently their Understanding Kubernetes Guide. It is a complete ebook that you can download that covers the whole gamut of Kubernetes and can kind of help you wrap your head around modernizing an existing infrastructure if you have one. It's an instant download, no email required. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You can go read about it. It's, such a, it's just a great resource. There's also, it's a great resource, and there's a bunch of great documentation on Linode's website. And then they've got Support 365 if you ever need it. I really think you should go check it out for yourself. This is one of those things that you just need to go take advantage of and see what we've been talking about. Go grab that $100 and support the show. Linode is dedicated to offering the best in virtualized cloud computing. If it runs on Linux, it runs great on Linode. Sign up today at linode.com slash unplugged. Get the $100 in 60-day credit and support the show as we almost round 500 episodes. Linode.com slash unplugged. Well, you may have seen a recent post over on the Ubuntu discourse making the rounds titled Ubuntu Flavor Packaging Defaults. I thought it was probably appropriate for, have a, for us to have a discussion here. And let's just start with this little TLDR. Quote, As part of our combined efforts, the Ubuntu flavors have made a joint decision to adjust some of the default packages on Ubuntu. Going forward, the Flatpak package, as well as the packages to integrate Flatpak into the respective software center, will no longer be installed by default, and the next release due in April 2023, Lunar Lobster. All right, so we have our date. And uh, what's changed here is that the flavors have agreed to comply. And uh, they will also be removing Flatpak by default on any of the Ubuntu flavors, which is now considered the standard, quote, Ubuntu experience. 
I have a lot of thoughts on this, um, but I wanted to give everybody else a chance to jump in first. I do want to note, as they say here, users who have used Flatpak are not going to be affected. Like if you went and set up Flatpak, they're not yeah. going to remove it. This is just new defaults yeah. for fresh installs. And it's also worth pointing out, obviously, Flatpak remains available in the repo. You can install it yourself. Yeah, it's the same. Install yeah. Flatpak, set up Flathub, you're good to go. So let's talk about, though, uh, kind of the message that this sends and, and also to kind of make an announcement about it and all of that. I'm curious, Brian, if you have any thoughts just on the top of your mind, I wanted to give you a chance to jump in here on canonical kind of working. I don't think it's fair to say in hand with the flavors, because the sense that I have from multiple flavor maintainers is that it's more like comply or else kind of a situation. How do you feel about that? Well, that approach itself feels a little uncomfortable to me because, it, I, you know, I don't have any experience developing anything as a flavor. But the sense I got as a user was that they were kind of offering a difference in some of the philosophical choices that the, you know, vanilla Ubuntu was, uh, was giving out. And so to make their own decisions seemed like the feature set of flavors. Uh, that's a great point. In, in other words, you want to remain Ubuntu compatible. Mm-hmm. You like the Ubuntu ecosystem. You have a skill set there, but perhaps you don't align specifically with Canonical's vision. Yeah, and a lot of flavors we see have different desktop environments, but that's not their only distinguishing factor. There are a lot of other decisions that get made that make it that they have a strong user base that uh, likes those opinions of the choices that they've made. And so I wonder if this is starting to, I don't know, hint at the breakdown of that kind of nicety of having flavors even. You know, if it's just all going to be forced opinions and choices, then why even have flavors? Right. It it kind of, it does give it a sense of, uh, well, you can be a flavor so long as you do everything we want. And then if you don't, we won't give you any kind of support or infrastructure. Wes, what do you think about this move? Uh, Canonical clearly has a um, long-term strategy with Snaps. In my opinion, I think this is the signal they're never giving up on Snaps, right? Like with, with Mir and with Upstart, we did see them reverse course. And there were signals that maybe they would do that. We see certain signals around ZFS right now. We're seeing them right now. But it seems like with Snaps, this is the signal that they're never capitulating. They're never going to go along with what the community wants. What do you, you think? This, is that the wrong framing even? No, no I mean, I, it's just entertaining to hear it phrased that way. I don't know about never. I do think it at least signals a, a continued investment for whatever, you know, near to semi-far term. Um, they're, it's a little sad. For me personally, I guess, just because I've I've spent a lot of time using Ubuntu systems, I'm using an Ubuntu-based system to do the show right now. Um, but they're feeling less and less relevant to the kind of setup that I'm doing on my desktop these days. I mean, between all the NixOS stuff, wanting to play a little more and see sort of updated, you know, fundamentals in the operating system, and then just sort of distancing. I don't use Snaps. Flatpaks really have become the the sort of dream of the universal package. I mean, you know, there's fine details. It's not perfect. There's a lot of messiness, but it's come such a far way that it's it's really, you know, we distro hop a lot. We try all kinds of stuff. And the first thing I do is set up Flathub if it's not already set up by default so I can get all my flat packs installed. And it's just a little, I don't know, a little sad to see Canonical not sort of embracing that. Yeah. Um, 
Neil, I want to let you jump in here because doesn't it seem like uh, with uh, elementary OS and pop OS and obviously Fedora and Silver Blue and uh, even me over on Nick's land, flat packs are a more critical part of my desktop setup than ever. And I think they're more part of every desktop other than the canonical Ubuntu ecosystems strategy going forward. Uh, it seems like a really big differentiation. It seems like a differentiation in packaging. Uh, what are your thoughts? There is a philosophy around branding, that there are two major philosophies, a house of brands and a branding house. Now, in the old days, um, Ubuntu was largely a house of brands. So you had Ubuntu, Kubuntu, Zubuntu, Lubuntu, and so on. These were all independently managed, and they were all largely like sharing common infrastructure, but doing their own thing and making their own choices. But the past 10 years, Canonical has reasserted their ownership over the trademark of Ubuntu and basically have been pushing towards a branded house. So you have Ubuntu Budgie, Ubuntu Mate, Ubuntu No, uh, well, not Ubuntu No anymore, but like, you, you know where I'm going with this, right? Like, so they're, they're asserting that Ubuntu is the primary brand that matters. And, and that part is fine and all. And as part of that, there is a level of experience consistency that they want to have across all the flavors. To be fair, Fedora has a similar assertion. Like we all, we also have assertions of brand consistency and tooling and stuff like that. But the extent of our requirements for consistency is a bit looser than, than canonicals is because Fedora is a community project and, the stuff we actually require is mostly around visibility rather than necessarily technology. But we also don't allow people to do things like do weird things to the Fedora word. And like that that's a thing that Ubuntu did in the beginning and they don't anymore. That sort of thing. Now, coming back to Flatpak versus Snap, it is incredibly important to recognize that Canonical has spent almost, I don't know, 12 years investing in, in what eventually became the Snap technology. And many of the people that have built snaps and ma and developed the technology are now in very senior leadership at Canonical. And to them, it is a basically all or nothing affair when it comes to their idea of what Ubuntu is intended for. And you can see this with Ubuntu Core, and you can see this with how they're transitioning things towards snaps in Ubuntu itself, both in the server and in the desktop front. And I think that's just going to keep happening. And as a flavor, you're that is part of it. Like you're kind of subject to what they expect from you. And if you don't like it, I, I don't know if I can really have a whole lot of sympathy left, uh, unless you want to just, I don't reverse takeover or something like that. Like I don't know what you would do in a circumstance where, where you as a flavor maintainer. We're being told that, like, from a brand and consistency and experience perspective, this is something that we care very much about, and you don't. I don't know what you would do. So, from that perspective, I think the flavor maintainers probably agreed in principle and and probably voluntarily once it was explained to them what the situation basically is. But from our side, on the outside, it doesn't necessarily look good, and I don't think there was a way to make this look good. There's just no winning a message like this. Now, Neil, I have a question for you, and I know you can't necessarily speak to 
you know, internal Ubuntu and flavor stuff necessarily. But is there another example of a technology that the flavors have been sort of strongly suggested to integrate by default, for instance, like a, some, a similar situation that's happened in the past? Upstart was. When, when Canonical adopted Upstart, they strongly suggested that everything that was going to run in Ubuntu on, across the flavors should use Upstart jobs and integrate Upstart technology rather than relying on compatibility and interfaces for System 5 init and stuff. There were technical reasons for doing that, it was not a bad decision, but it was mostly driven by this is what we're using in the primary flavor. This is what we're supporting. Please get on the train so that we can actually like do this co- cohesively. Mirror was a different situation because Mirror was designed as a toolkit, and admittedly a full-fledged toolkit, mind you. But in order for it to work, you had to go to upstream projects and like actually plug Mirror into everything. And that was not an easy challenge thing to do. And most of the flavor maintainers are not programmers. Saying that you should replace your sysv and it scripts with upstart jobs is probably a reasonable ask. Saying you can't, you should probably not include the flat pack packages preceded on your, on your, on your media and having snap seeded on there if you want to have a tech at all is probably a reasonable thing to ask. But asking them to like write code and change things and whatever in the upstreams is not reasonable to ask. And they've never asked that, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's bizarre where the line gets drawn. There are certain packages that get installed that probably 0.07% of Ubuntu users ever use, but that's in the default installation. You know, and it, it it's... uh When you just look at it from... I don't know, you, you just kind of an old school point of view of popular free software gets packaged by a distribution maker so that way it's easier for users to use the desktop. It just would be a foregone conclusion to package Flatpak. And so it's clear that there is a overall strategy tax that Ubuntu is now subject to, which means that the Ubuntu experience has been degraded simply to comply with the strategy tax of Ubuntu. And I have a lot of respect for the project, and I have a lot of respect for what Mark Shuttleworth has done. But I'm a little disappointed to see that, because I'd like to see what Snaps could do if they competed head-to-head with Flatpak. And if Snaps can't take the heat, I'd like to see them fix so they could take the heat instead of this kind of maneuver. But you know what? It is their desktop system. It is their ecosystem. And they work really hard to make it. So this is the decision they are absolutely willing to make. Just like you as a user, if you want an Ubuntu environment that has no problems with Flatpak, could switch to Pop! OS. We all have the choice. I'm suddenly uh, quite grateful for Debian. (laughs) Yeah, really, no kidding. All right, Brent, I wanted to give you the final thoughts before we jump into kind of at the same time, there's a whole other aspect, a whole other element to this opening up. Yeah, when I was reading this, I think many of our first reactions we've kind of given already. But then as I kept reading, I thought, well, if I take the perspective of other distributions who've done kind of the opposite, um, many of them have Flatpaks installed by default and not Snap installed by default. And so that has seemed very natural in the other case. And so I, I think, really, that's a fine decision and it shouldn't be controversial, but maybe it's just the approach that they've taken. And at this specific time, instead of maybe, I don't know, a year ago or maybe yeah. the communications well, are breakdown. What do you think? Do you think it's coincidence that this announcement comes out and then the next day, was it the next day? I think maybe two days later, KDE and Gnome 
uh, jointly announced that they're seeking $100,000 to turn FlatHub into a store for the Linux desktop. They say they want to promote diversity and sustainability. Seems like either very bad timing or there's some stuff going on behind the scenes there. Yeah, right. Doesn't don't you get the vibe like maybe Canonical knew this was coming? You get a weird vibe about it. Um, so what's happened here is uh, the uh, Genome folks have sponsored work to add donations and payments to FlatHub via Stripe, as well as uh, a way for vel. Nope, not developers. It's the hip new thing to say. That would be cool. you know we don't say devs anymore. It's developers. And they're also introducing or have introduced a way for developers to verify their identity. So that way, you know, you're getting a package that's actually from them directly. So they are working together with the uh, company behind KDE, and they have a goal to essentially increase the reach of FlatHub and to make it more of a general app store for all. They feel that FlatHub is uniquely positioned to offer these app store services in a vendor neutral way they also acknowledge that the snap store is likely their biggest direct competitor west Payne, your thoughts i think you and i both had a sense this was coming i even made this one of my predictions you sure did <laughs> and now here we have it they want to put it all out there they want they want to take it even further and ugh, i got my cards on the table i am 100 percent behind this idea i'm curious what your thoughts are though I'm excited. I, who yeah. knows? There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of ways maybe this could go not as we want. But as I said earlier, I install Flatpaks all the time. Yeah. I like supporting uh, open source projects. It just seems like it would be a super convenient way to actually have a good mechanism. It's, I'm not against spending money, but it's, you know, you have to figure out different ways. Patreon, there's just so yeah, many different. it's too much. And if it's an easy way, it's there. I can yeah. do a subscription or I can just pay and get access to apps that I have paid for. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, Sign right? Right. Like if they if if they added the feature to keep track of what you've paid for, so that way when you're loading a new system, you could just come back to my apps or whatever it is, and you could just boop 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 and reload everything. That would be really chef's chef's kiss there. You know, just backing up a little bit, I, I want to know what you think about this this goal for Katie and Genome to come together to create this universal app store because that has been tried. They even mentioned the click and run store, which I really appreciate as an OG. Yeah. You know, and our friends over at Elementary OS have their app center where they've really tried to give this a go. So this idea has been tried a dozen different times. So I, I keep that. That's question one. And then question two for you is, do you feel like this is all kind of getting ready for the immutable future? Because w- the reason why I have become a lot more serious about my flat pack usage is I really like the idea of a rolling immutable base. So my base system is constantly updated. But it's separate from my from my user space applications, which get updated by the vendors when they have updates. And it's totally detached from like my kernel, my Mesa stack, like all of that stuff that I'm always, always going to keep updating. I love this idea. And I feel like this is going to become kind of the norm on the Linux desktop in a few years. And I think FlatHub is getting ahead of that. So it's two questions there. I know it's a lot, but what are your thoughts? Well, seeing KDE and GNOME come together is uh, refreshing. Uh, sort of, sort of a, a little heartwarming. It seems like they both recognize the the position they play. It's a lot of camaraderie to this sort of effort. It's uh, nice to see, isn't it? Yeah. Again, early days. Who knows what's going to happen here? There's a lot that maybe doesn't happen at all. Yeah, we. Yeah, that's true. So let's not promise the moon, but 
promising. And those are, I'm loving where both of those projects are at right now and where they seem to be going. So yeah, it's very exciting time yeah. to be a Linux desktop user. Yeah. Brent, uh, the thing that I like about this is that it feels like Flathub's already delivered, right? They've proven mm. to be a good community resource here. And so I trust when they say they want to take it a little bit further. And this whole like app store for all the different Linux desktops has been tried probably a half a dozen times. But do you think maybe this is the group to do it finally? Is it possible? Well, I wonder if it feels like the first time that we've had a technology that actually spans all of those in a really cohesive way. And it feels like maybe that answer is yes. Right. I mean, it's we're not using dev, it everywhere. It's not RPM this time. That's it. It's not like a distro agnostic uh, format that we're trying to push to everyone else. It's like a format that was meant and designed to be used by everyone everywhere without being strictly controlled by, you know, one company. So there's that's promising. That's a difference, isn't it? Yeah. It, it is sort of the different. And it could have been app image. I don't. The reason why I don't feel like it could have been snaps is when you read this, and we'll have it linked in the show notes. When you read this pitch over and over again, the the takeaway I have is that vendor neutrality is pretty important. Now, I don't know is is Red Hat somehow involved in this? Maybe I, I, Flat, FlatHub has so far, I think, been a good actor in vendor neutrality, and I I have I have seen no indication that FlatHub has favored any particular distro over another, and so you know I. I I actually do believe them when they say they're going for vendor neutrality because their actions have so far seemed to verify that. And it, I mean, it seems like flat packs run well. Uh, flat flat packs you get from FlatHub yeah. run well on. It's all worked pretty great. much everything we try to try on the show anyway. Great and point. they seem to be quite happy to add instructions. Right? They've got a little like, oh, here's all these various distros. Here's how yep. you get, get up and running with FlatHub. You know, Wes. I, I mean, the moment Reaper. Our, our recording application starts getting packages with FlatHub, I'll seriously consider it. It's been great. Also, you can check out where they're going by going to beta.flathub.org. It's a new UI. There's new options there. There's a lot going on. And you can check it out when you go to beta.flathub.org. I'm here for it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm going to look for ways that I can support it. I think it's a good effort. And I like the idea. I've always liked the idea. I would have... I would have been okay with App Center taking off. I would have been okay with even click and run back in the day. But you know what? This is even better. So I, I hope it I hope it pans out. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. That's where you go to get started with a free trial right now at bitwarden.com slash Linux. Bitwarden, quite simply, friends, is the easiest way for yourself, a business, or a team to store, share, and sync your sensitive data. It's what Wes and I use to move around any kind of data that we would consider confidential, anything sensitive, passphrases, even certain bits of data and text. We use Bitwarden. And Bitwarden has a really slick process to be able to share that securely with somebody else if that's the direction you want to go. And everything in your vault is end-to-end encrypted. Zero knowledge encryption, even the metadata. And if you have an existing password manager that you're not very happy with, like just personally, I personally switched from LastPass a few years ago. And if I had known then just how straightforward the migration was, I probably would have done it a few years earlier. Check out bitwarden.com slash migrate. It's ridiculous how quick they make that process. You're going to love how quick it is. I, I wish I would, like I said, I wish when I knew I would have done it sooner. And Bitwarden is open source. So you know that that helps, right? Because you've got millions of eyes on the source code. Teams can... And organizations, of course, can also do internal audits if they like. 
That's powerful. And again, one of the reasons why we trust it for our sensitive data. And Bitwarden has account switching supports. You can move between business accounts and personal accounts or your account and the open source project that you're participating with. And they've made that so good and so slick. It's just zero friction to do that now. And just recently in February, they've added login with device to more clients. So now you can quickly log into Bitwarden without having to use your master password in the browser or the web vault or the mobile apps or the desktop app. And it's just slick because you use an existing already logged in app, like on the mobile or on the desktop. And of course, they're constantly iterating on their security, making it better and better. February saw a nice round of updates there as well. I recommend it. I think you should suggest it to people that maybe you know in your life, in your world that could use this as well, because this is one of the low-hanging fruits to make yourself more secure online. A unique username, a unique password, and a unique email address for every site, service, and app you use. That's powerful, and it makes a difference. So if you know somebody out there that could use this, support the show and send them over to bitwarden.com Linux. That just feels like a whole lot of winning for everybody involved to me. And if you yourself haven't made the switch yet, let's do it and support the show. Let's go right now. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. I know it took me a little while to make the switch too, but man, I'm so glad I did. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. I want to say thank you to every listener. Uh, we got an unusually wonderful number of feedback items in the mailbox this week. So thank you to everyone who wrote in. LinuxUnplugged.com slash contact if you want to send us a word or a tip or just, I don't know, share some thoughts. We'd love it. Lostin wrote in, and I'm going to feature what they wrote in. Jupiter Party member here from Southwest Florida. I've been listening since late 2019, right before the world went a bit more crazy. Thank you for all the shows and creating this great community. Just wanted to second the wireless performance issues that I've heard Chris mention in Linux Unplugged 497. I purchased an 11th gen framework laptop a few years ago, and I have run into similar issues with Fedora and wireless, just like Chris. I was first jumping around to a bunch of different distributions, trying to figure out which one I wanted to keep, and noticed every time I was on Fedora, my wireless would just not work at its full capacity. I did stick with Fedora as it has the latest kernel, and allows some functionality and everything, even when the issues with the wireless would crop up. It has gotten a little better, but there are times when I still see issues with the wireless. Ah, well, isn't that interesting? So, yeah, I, I, I was really impressed that uh, the ThinkPad folks wanted to jump on this issue, and they're testing it. But um, I never felt like it was a ThinkPad issue. And uh, I, I suspect I need to do more testing. But I kind of feel like maybe I did have the issues again recently on Plasma. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is what I was told would happen. Um, you updated your bug report, though, right? <laughs> yeah, I. You know what I did is I I closed the machine and I've set it aside and I have I've just I'm I don't I don't have time for a computer that can't do Wi-Fi, but I will pick it back up in probably about a week and I'll go through the whole thing and I'm going to respond to the folks at uh, Lenovo and you know do all of it. I will do that. Um, but it is when, you know, you're in the middle of things, it is so frustrating. Mm -hmm. And then, unfortunately, and this really actually does suck, is my neighbor uh, came over. She knocked on Jupes and she says, uh, I'm switching ISPs. And uh, I have, I, I'm trying it out. I have like a 30-day window because like T-Mobile's doing like this nationwide push. And I have like this 30-day window to try it for free. And all of my devices, you know, she's got two televisions, she's got a, a phone. And a printer, I hear. A printer and a, a Microsoft Surface. 
And all of her devices are working great. She's getting like 200 megabits down. Oh. Except for um, her Microsoft Surface. Running Windows 11 is dropping packets. Like It makes my ThinkPad with, with Nix look like it's doing great. It's just horrible. Like she'll get one ping back total. I wanted to help her and I wanted to test it. I wanted to try it out. And I realized I can't really count on the Wi-Fi here. I, I don't know if the results I'm getting are actually real results or not. And that really sucks. Um, so I do need to address this and I am going to work on it. But I have always thought, I don't think it's hardware. I think it is something to do with software because when I switched to Hello System, it was fine. And when I switched to older Linux kernels, um, it's fine. Like really old, it's fine. Like old distros, it's fine. So it is something to do with modern Linux. Which means it's coming to the BSDs eventually once they rebase on the latest stuff from Linux. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they'll get it in a few years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Just listening in our live chat says I was having the same Wi-Fi issues with Nick's on my ThinkPad X1. But he says, I added networking.networkmanager.wifi.powersave equals false to my configuration.nix and problem solved. Just listening, I'm going to follow up with you on that. That's interesting. It's something, I, I, I absolutely believe it has something to do with power management. I tried that for mine with Network Manager because you can tweak this as well in there. So the problem I wound up discovering is that as soon as I turned off power saving to make this work, the firmware crashed on a regular basis. Fun. Bum, bum, bum. I know. Me, God. I, I'm just actually, I feel really vindicated hearing you say this, Neil, because I, I do too, and I love the Intel wireless stuff. It's been a, it's been great. It also affects Windows people, for what it's worth. I had to deal oh, okay. with the same problem with my <laughs> with my parents when I visited them. So it's like, oh wow, this is like something is actually wrong with Intel wireless, and I don't know what's going on here, and I don't have enough data to prove anything. But this is where I've gotten so far. I don't know if I ever want to have an Intel wireless card again. Right. Give me that Broadcom, baby. I know it. I know <laughs> it. I, I want. Give me all the real techs. Oh, give me the real techs. I'm real tech. This might just age out for a next generation of laptops. They won't be using Intel wireless. They'll be using Qualcomm for a little while. That's great. That's great. It actually works out great. Because you know how I love just throwing away perfectly good computers that have years of life left into them. I just love throwing them away. So uh, Yeah, I love that too, Chris. That's why <laughs> That's why I would just pop open the laptop and pull the module out and replace it. Yeah. One of your hobbies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so you might want to look into getting a – maybe see if you can – they're not that expensive. Buying one of the PCIe or M.2 or whatever – standard that your laptop's actually using for the wireless module buy one that's a different brand like qualcomm if it works then then basically i think you have enough information to give mark like we should say mark from lenovo that it's intel's fault i can imagine i can imagine his position right and as an intel partner like if you're going to go to a partner and you're going to say hey man your stuff's messed up like you got to come with the data so i get where they're coming from and i do want to get back to them we do have more feedback, so continuing on, Brent. Chris, I think for this one, we might need the cone of silence. Oh, are you sure? I th Well, I have a somewhat production question on yeah. this one, so no, can I you give you. it to me? Yeah, you got it, buddy. The cone of silence. Watch your foot. Can Jeff in here? Yeah, oh, wow. Oh, it's Ouch. Like, gosh. Yeah, this thing Ow. stretches in a weird kind of way. I'm glad you put deodorant on today. Um... So Nick wrote in with this lovely little piece of mm -hmm. uh, mail here, and I just realized, he says, I had a question for episode 500. Did we yeah. ask folks to send in, like, beginner questions for episode sure 500? Could. You sure we, could. I mean, um, do I want to give a teaser one, maybe? I think or? we should. I have a teaser boost, two for 500. Oh. So I think we do a teaser feedback. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
All right, you're good. Uncone, please. The cone of silence. Nick sent in this great piece of feedback. He says, hi, guys. I started listening in the last year and have been enjoying the shows tremendously. I had a question for episode 500. You recently mentioned that you would explain things for noobs like me. I think I get most of the fun sounds that you've been playing along with the boosts, though I did have to look up that one about the rich lobster. But I'm curious about the bell tone. It seems that in most episodes, somewhere near the end, you insert a little bell tone. To me, it seems random, but I was wondering if there's some sort of code word or time alarm thing happening. I would love to know. <laughs> do I start? Do I hit the bell more often in the later latter half of the show? You, you may. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. I, I can see that. I like the idea that you're just. I mean, have you just decayed to the point where you're belling at random now? <laughs> no, it all has a theme. You know what this email? You know what this email could be is is tell me you don't have ADHD without telling me you don't have ADHD. This is for all my friends out there who have trouble focusing because it gets your attention. Is that a post hoc rationalization? It's could a Pomodoro be. timer. I, I think. mean, no. What it is is it's kind of like it's a signal to pay attention to something. Is what it is, and I wouldn't be surprised if I just subconsciously start dropping it more as the show goes on because your attention might be fading, and I want to make sure that. You tune into this. Like, I could see that. And so that could be what's happening. We also kind of hit some of the heavier points sometimes in the, you know, that's the true. later part of the show yeah. where the big topic is. What I feel like is where you become a bell connoisseur is when you can determine the difference between the actual bell and the digital bell, which is sampled from the actual bell. So that's, that's you know, that's next level bell is when you become the connoisseur. See, but I think, Chris, what Nick's getting at is... What's the history behind the bell? Like, how long has it been with you? How, ah. how long has it been in the studio? Where did it first appear? Wow. Well, uh, the bell first got introduced when I had a podcast called Cybite. And when um, when Cybite started, that was the first show I ever did where I didn't host the show. I was the co-host. And so um, I wanted to be able to come up with a way to emphasize a point that my remote host made without interrupting her because of latency. And so something like a little bell every now and then when she stopped for a moment, I could, I could insert the bell as like a, that's a great point, or this is something new or something like, or pay attention to this without me actually speaking and making her have to stop because of the latency. And then I just kind of kept with it because of the whole ADD thing. <laughs> well, Nick continued with a little note here. P.S. Love the important discussions about the enterprise theme. I've laughed out loud so many times. Perhaps you should set up a boost code for playing some of the theme on the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. All right. I'll think about that. Because I feel like if we're gonna if we're gonna play the the trumpets or any of the enterprise themes, it's got to mean something because it's personally meaningful to me. So I'll, I'll have to give that some thought. In fact, I'll probably give that an inappropriate amount of thought over everything else I should be considering. But I will be thinking about that. Boostagram. We do have some boost to get into. In fact, check this one out. We got a lot. We got a Ritz Lobster right here. Raving Grob boosted in with 110,118 sets. You lobster. Uh, they write, I've been listening for a couple of weeks now. Love your stuff. First of all, listening for a couple of weeks and sending us 110,000 sat boost um, or a mistake who knows humbled 
by that. I've been thinking, I've been thinking recently about the boost amounts and that is, uh, I've noticed that we've had a couple of brand new listeners and they're coming in at the hundred thousand mark. And I, I really, really appreciate that. Um, there is just a lot going on in the broader sponsor space right now. And, uh, I really feel encouraged by the value for value adoption. Uh, he continues, I love your stuff. And I wanted to show my support from Vancouver, Washington. Hey, yo. I can't make it to the meetup though. I've had a question for a long time. All right. I'd love to have you at the meetup, but I understand. He says, I tried Linux back in 2012. I couldn't stick with it because of gaming. I returned in 2021 and I haven't looked back, but I have to ask, why has it taken Wayland so long to get properly supported? And do you think it will ever fully replace X11 in a true one-to-one space? I actually feel like there is a, a big philosophical answer here about the process of open source software and how long it takes. Like, do you know where I'm going with this, Wes? Like the development of Wayland is maybe the best example of the strengths and weaknesses of free software development in some, in some senses. Yeah. I think I can see what you're saying. Yeah. The important thing to think about is public free software development is extremely painful. And I can think of two very visible examples of this, which have burned their respective creators and their respective development teams. The first uh, is Wayland, and the second is ButterFS. Yes. Both of these projects started very publicly, very early, and the downside of being public and early and out there is people can try it at every stage of growth. The problem with that is that people can try it out at every stage of growth. Oh, God, Neil, you are hitting it. This is this is the most important moment of the show right here. Yeah. Arm yeah that bell. And they will form their opinions based on that, right? They will they will try it and they will they now now they have like they know this technology and they will then base years of opinion off that or base I still entire... can't trust Pulse Audio. Right. Yes, you still hear Pulse Audio is the butt of jokes today. And Pulse Audio has it, and, right? And because of and Pulse Audio and Avahi and and System D and all these other things, right? Like all of them have growing pains. But the downside of everything being developed in the open is that somebody can try it as soon as they see it. And the problem with that is that nothing is ever ready until it is ready. And in the open source world, you will never know what that is. That that basically never becomes a thing until after it is happened so you won't know that wayland is ready or or butterfs is ready or 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 pulse audio is ready or pipewire is ready until after it's done and people are using it this is this is why you tend to see people developing stuff privately and then doing a lot of work behind the scenes the old over the fence kind of thing it's always ecosystem evolution and and it's ready when the people who have been working on the old thing and the new thing stop working on the old thing. And sometimes incentives align and you see things like Pipewire take off significantly Ooh. faster than things like Wayland. But honestly, one of the reasons why things like Pipewire are taking off is because Wayland support is a driver. It is becoming a driver for these kinds of things. It's a focusing point for open source projects. It just took a long time. And um, we don't really know how long these things take inside proprietary companies, but uh, we do get insight when it is software uh codehead uk uh boosted in with 2600 sats and he says 2600 sats in honor of captain crunch that's delicious i could go for a bowl of captain crunch a little show energy he says i've been uh 
I'm boosting it with some Hack the Planet sats to celebrate my 10-year anniversary as a Jupiter Broadcasting listener. Hey, yo. Very nice. Wonderful. Wow. That means you've been listening longer than one of my kids have been alive. How about that? That is, in measured in human years, impressive. My commute is two hours every day. Wow. I listen to a bunch of tech podcasts in the car to make better use of that time. I understand that, man. I That is totally like, why not, right? Why not take advantage of that downtime? And I keep up with the news that way. I'm currently about four months behind due to an extended spell working from home during lockdown, but slowly catching up. Keep up the awesome work. Here's to the next 10 years. Wow. Okay. Wow. I mean, you're not even going to hear this for months, but I have to imagine he cannot be the only one. Right. Codehead UK has got to be like other listeners out there that were doing work from home and now catching up. Maybe... Maybe that's why the numbers went up. We have been trying to put together why the hell are, I mean, I I definitely think it was part because our baller boosters got us onto the top of the fountain charts and that helped. And I think, you know, covering Nick's and stuff like that, but I've been trying to figure out like why our numbers just skyrocketed recently. And maybe it's people going back to work. I don't know what it is, but let us know, boost in and tell me what's going on. Deleted comes in with 53,500 and 45 sats. Another fantastic boost. Thank you very, very, very much. This old duck still got it. I didn't get a chance to do this earlier, but this boost amount is my zip. Are you looking it up right I now? I sure is am. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> we need to start a database or something. <laughs> this is a postal code in Rock County, Wisconsin. Nice. Oh, okay. I love it. How do you do postal codes from like Canada and other European countries in here? That might be difficult with sats given the letters. Could just tell us the town. Oh, that's a simple approach. Thanks. But you'd have to come up with your boost amount on your own. Rotten Mood boosted in with 25,000 sats. Thank you, sir. As someone who runs their own server with the domain Usafor. I don't know exactly how you're supposed to say it. It is, it's Belter. Elsusfor? I don't know. I'm 100% in agreement with Drew of Doom on using Expanse terminology. All right, well, we got to have some clarifications with that one. Um, By the way, if you don't know what the Expanse is, I didn't know either until a few years ago. And I tell you this as a 35-year-long Star Trek fan, uh, The Expanse is some of the best sci-fi that's ever existed. It's like, it's, it's like what might actually happen in our future. It is, it's because it, it, the thing I love about it, it's the solar system is big enough for an entire series to exist, right? The solar system is huge. And The Expanse, it takes place in about 100 years or so. That's not true. And it's all in the solar system. And it's, it's such a good show if you haven't watched it. Uh, Martin DeBeer boosts in with 10,000 sats. Hey, Chris, Wes, and Brent, I'm reporting back on my use of Podcasting 2.0. Oh, we got a Podcasting 2.0 check-in over here. New sound effect. I use Podverse on Android. The app is great. I have a membership, as do I, as I like to mark episodes as complete. Yeah, there are some stuff that's member-locked. I didn't really appreciate that because I just signed up as a member right away. The sync feature is also Falalis. One, I, oh, okay. I want to pause here. So I, I use Podverse on my desktop and on my uh, Pixel 7, and I effing love, love, love that I can pause in the car, walk upstairs, and hit resume in the web player, and it gets it. I love that. Anyways, he says the sync feature is flawless. One thing I run into, though, is certain podcasts on the podcast index are not updating every week. While they do update every week and say like the Google or the Apples or the Spotify apps, 
I don't think I can blame Podverse for that, but I have now two. I have to use two different podcast apps to get ep- every episode every week. But best regards, Martin. What do you think? Doesn't this sound like maybe like a podcast index might be looking at like a feed that doesn't get updated as often or something? I was wondering because I've I've run into that too. Oh, you have? Yeah. What do you mean? Just like they don't have, they didn't have the most recent episodes. They had like all of them up to a point, but then just like uh, not after that. That's got to be like the the whatever the podcast index is looking at has got to be a feed that's not getting updated as recently, right? Because it's just check the feed and import it, right? It's not like it's. But if you submit the wrong feed to the index or something like that, I could see that being an issue. Yeah, let's see. I'm, I'm trying to. I'll have to like actually find a case and reproduce yeah. it. Now I'm a, I'm a little more curious. I kind of written right. it off because I was already mm-hmm. using multiple podcast clients because I'm horrible like that. But yeah, I wonder if there's something, or I wonder how if there's an easy way to say like, hey, can you please refresh podcast index? Because otherwise, I, the podcast index is so great. It's great. It's yeah. easy to just go find the RSS. Well, feed. I know it's that, easy to check. Well, I know one way you can get it to update is through Podping. But I suppose if that podcast isn't using Podping, then it would just be up to a manual refresh. Maybe that's it. We should dig into it. We'll we'll look into this. Forward Humor boosted in with 5,000 sats with a simple location shout out from Web City, Missouri. Oh, all right. Web City with two Bs. Chris, that's right at the top of your list of places to go, I thought. <laughs> Let's look it up. Uh, okay, so Web City's in Jasper County, Missouri, uh, a population of 13,000, according to the 2020 consensus. Okay. A Web City has a police department, a fire department, and an animal control service. So it's safe for Brent. That's those are my you know before I send you updated Brent, his tags right yeah I and it's, yeah I can make, make sure he's got good shots and all that before I send him any town though those are the things I check out it's currently uh, fifty seven degrees with wind around thirteen miles per hour and uh, looks like they're actually warmer over there than we are here today okay well now we know about Web City I love it and that's Chris with the news True Grits boosted in with seventeen oh one sets hello it's been a bit since I've boosted in. Been going through some personal stuff, so I've continued listening, but have slacked on my boosting. Thanks for listening, True Grits. Yeah, it's good to hear from you. True Grits did continue with 1703 sets. You should definitely do a Linux Unplugged 10-year anniversary episode. I've been listening since episode one. Wow. And I don't think I've yet to miss an episode. True Grits, I don't know if I have put together thus far that you were such an OG man. And you know, true grits. I, I think when I think of the, uh, when I think of the enterprise boost, it's you, I think of you, you started the enterprise boost thing and you've been an OG to LUP. That's pretty awesome. And we actually don't know if we've, we have fully formalized episode 500. Here's what I can tell you behind the scenes. I have been doing something I hate very, very, very much. <laughs> Do you know what I'm about to say? ISS install? <laughs> <laughs> I do hate ISS. IIS. Uh, yeah. Um, internet information uh, services, you mean? That's what I mean. No, um, I've been attending meetings for something that may or may not materialize in 500. Everybody's working very hard to make sure that it does happen, but humans. And uh, can I say anything more than that? <laughs> I don't think you can. It is possible that I may not discover if we have our content for episode 500 until Friday around 6 p.m. It's possible. 
What? And, yeah, for next week. And it's the craziest thing that I can't talk about right now that'll all make sense if I can talk about it at some point in the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the wildest thing. And we may have nothing for 500. Or we may have the, the most important thing that Jupiter Broadcasting's ever done. So show up, Mumble Room, and live audience, because yeah. we're going to need you. It's going to happen live one way or another. So, oh, <laughs> but Well, Chris, I guess I got to make sure I should be there for whatever this is going to be. 500, dude! Yeah. Come on. Of course I was going to be there for 500. Yeah. All right. You know, it turns out, Chris, True Grits did continue with 1705 sats. What? I seem to be missing some memories. I remember being a Linux user when Steam on Linux came out. I thought I had heard about it on the Linux Action Show. But that clip you played in LAN recently clearly was Brian, and I started listening during the Matt Hartley days. The only other place I read about it would have probably been OMG Ubuntu. So actually, True Grits, your memory is accurate. It's a complicated, long story of uh, the Steam client coming to Linux. And it actually started first with rumors about maybe it would happen. Maybe it would be released for Linux. It was two years of rumors, if I remember, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. It was long saga. Like, Veronix would keep talking about it with, like... Uh, Mike uh, Larabelle would like say, well, over beers or whatever, and have like a picture of <laughs> yes. he, he would just do this like absolutely asinine like blog post photos and and talk about that for like, oh, gosh, I think it was like almost three years. And then it came out. It's like, what? Yeah, that's essentially it is there was years of rumors. And um, then there was the beta period as well, which lasted a long time. And the thing about the beta period that we don't think about today, but was absolutely a factor, was it was Ubuntu only. Well, technically, right? It was it was Ubuntu. It was nobody designed for, listened to the Ubuntu only part, but right, yes, yeah, it yeah. It was, <laughs> but it was really built for Ubuntu, and uh, that you know, of course, today uh, it doesn't. It, you know, to, we don't even think about that. But uh, I want to. I'll play a couple of clips. We played these in Linux Action News episode two hundred and eighty, um, and I feel old. For, for being around, but here is uh, our initial take back in Linux Action Show about Steam coming to Linux. Every, man, everything coming out of Phronix dealing with Valve is so fast and loose. It's like, I don't... Maybe. I get so yeah. excited about the idea of Steam coming I'm to Linux. I'm starting to believe it a little more, just because they, they did hire a well-known Linux kernel developer. This guy did test a performance you know bug fix for well, GL. You know where a lot of Linux kernel developers work? Microsoft. Well, okay. I mean, they work all over the place. I know. There's Linux kernel devs at Microsoft. And there's been rumors that Valve's working on a hardware box based on Linux, maybe like an on-live competitor kind of thing that would run You Linux. know where there's other people who work on Linux? Hmm. Amazon. Yeah. Doesn't mean anything. Like, I, I, I so I, much want this to be real. But a game development shop? I just want to believe, Brian. I want to believe. I just... Ah. Yeah, anyway, I really want to believe it. I, I feel like Pharonix's strategy is say it enough times into the universe <laughs> and it'll just happen. Well, I hope so. And, I hope that works. And I just, I just, yeah, I just don't buy um, it. Also, apparently, uh, Valve is hiring uh, Linux developers right now. They have positions open for Linux developers. We'll see. We'll see. You're not saying it's impossible. You're just saying skeptical Brian is skeptical, right? I'm saying that there's absolutely no reason to think that it's happening, other than Pharonix declares that it is, and Valve will not confirm anything. And my dreams. And your dreams. And That's dreams. true. Yeah. And honestly, Chris's dreams are Powerful. pretty much... Powerful. I know, right? Ironclad. I know. I know. Too bad I always just dream about traffic.
And then a little bit later on, uh, it actually happened. It became a real boy. And it was announced for Ubuntu. Of course, the top story on the news docket this week is last week, Monday, after the big show came out, Valve posted on their blog an official announcement that they were developing Steam for Linux. And they called it Steamed Penguins. This was also the announcement of their new blog. Big Things Have Small Beginnings was one of their titles. Now, of course, we talked about this on the, on the show last week, but uh, it turned out it was all true. And someone who's been following the story from the very beginning, from what I call... Which is notable because that was a decade ago, just as about a week ago. Isn't that something? Gosh, Chris, you gave me memories and a heart attack all in one. <laughs> <laughs> Linux unplugged. Yeah, that's what we do here. <laughs> <laughs> but what a memory, you know, and what a time to be to the, the possibilities were endless. And remember Valve very early on went hard on Steam machines and then Steam controller. And then they kind of kind of they they sort of pivoted and they 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 de-emphasized hardware and they started focusing on Proton and working with Calabra and kind of building that infrastructure to create Steam play. And then they came at the hardware all over again with a totally different approach after they'd invested years in the software. And a decade later, I absolutely love my Steam Deck. That's where we're at now. Smash boosted in with 2006 sats. Bro, I heard you guys struggling with remote access with Whalen. Here's my solution that works and is highly secure. First, install Apache Guacamole in an LXC container that proxies to remote hosts over SSH, RDP, or VNC. Then put the guacamole behind a Cloudflare tunnel, and then protect that domain name with Cloudflare Zero Trust, which is free for 50 users. You can control any system through your browser on any platform, and Cloudflare Zero Trust ensures that the world cannot bang on that guacamole login. Smash out. That's not bad, Smash. That's not bad at all. I like that a lot. I also like hearing Brent say guacamole. Guacamole. Taco Strange boosted in with a row of ducks. What do you think about a boost to skip sponsor segments featured in the podcasting 2.0 apps? I don't think it would be something too difficult to implement in, say, Fountain or other 2.0 apps. Maybe you could just set it and forget it and never listen to sponsor spots again while also contributing to your favorite podcast. You know, the way I, I could actually, this, I have a, this is a great thought. My first thought is, uh, Taco Strange, is it's going to have to be a lot more than a row of ducks, buddy. But my <laughs> second thought is, um, you could just do this if it was a podcasting 2.0 chapter for the sponsor. And you could just have a little budget set up like streaming sats today that just says auto skip, right? That seems pretty doable. Uh, I have no problem with that because we have a very large audience and m the majority of them are listening to the sponsor spots. If you were a smaller operation, maybe that would be a little more challenging, though. I'm not sure. So I would love to hear other people's opinions on that. I think that's a great question, though, Taco. Gene Bean also boosted in a row of ducks. Just dropping a note to say I installed Copia on my laptop and am initially doing backups to an external NVMe drive. Setup was pretty easy, and it seems to do well after about a week, and I plan to add Blackblaze as a destination. I'm glad y'all are continuing the chats about backup options. Well, I gotta say, Copia looks pretty nice, and going to an MVME, man, that's gotta be the fastest backup ever. <laughs> 
got, you know, like cloud backup and tape backup. That's my background. This guy's going to an MVME. Gene Bean, you are the craziest guy. I My week doesn't feel complete unless I hear from Gene Bean, like Golden Dragon and a few others. Like I, I, I don't have a complete week. And Gene Bean, I love hearing from you. Thank you very much. It's another row of ducks, but this time from Anonymous. Writing, one of the nice things about ZFS Send is that, and uh, I imagine ButterFS might be able to do this as well, you can just pipe it over SSH. Then on the remote system, you can do something like ZFS Allow to permit that user to manage your ZFS things instead of having to use something like a root login. That's definitely a recommended setup. Another row of ducks from Anonymous. The nice thing about ZFS and OpenZFS being more prominent on Linux systems these days, especially in things like the Ubuntu installer, is, well, gives you sort of ease of access to load a ZFS drive from the Ubuntu Live ISO. True. So you could just worry a little bit less about not having a way to access your data. Yeah. Yeah. Facts. Although I get a sense Anonymous doesn't listen to Linux Action News. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, though. It is really nice to see it get more ubiquitous. And that's one of the reasons I think that I did really appreciate Ubuntu taking that step forward of integrating ZFS. And it's also one of the reasons why uh, we really like uh, ButterFS, because it is just, in fact, built in. The Muso boosted in with 5,000 sats. He says, with regards to using file system snapshots for backups, and this is something I got a lot of feedback in the matrix on, I prefer the workflow of ZFS snapshots over ButterFS. ZFS snapshot workflows feel more seamless to me and let me focus on what I'm wanting to do. I particularly like the ZFS dataset rollback functionality. And then he continues with another 5,000 sets. I'm looking forward to ZFS 3.0, which will support ZFS on S3 object storage. Since I've started using ZFS snapshots as local backup, I've never quite enjoyed using any third-party backup tool to backup at the file level off-site. If I mess up a file, I always turn to my backend backed up snapshots to retrieve the data and as experience and workflow i have to say it's less complicated hmm. and he sent us a link to uh, a zfs on object storage talk on youtube which we have in the show notes uh, yeah we will stay tuned and find out because i'll give it a try magnolia myham boosts in with seven thousand four hundred sats coming in hot with the boost <laughs> i am so far behind ironically Days after the Bitcoin dad called where I live, a third world country, our, our politicians tried to panic ban Kratom, something that saved my best friend's life. I had to go to war because of that. So I haven't been able to catch the, catch the JB shows in the recent weeks. Okay. You got your own wow. thing, Mayhem. You got, I understand. So I have no clue what I'm supporting here, but hey, have some sats anyways. Mm. Wow. Here's, what's, here's what struck me about this boost. First of all, every single one of our listeners, has a lot going on in their yeah. life. And yet they still manage to listen. And some of them manage to spend a little time with us or send some value in or do, you know, share the show or something like that. And then you got folks like Mayhem here who just like, even when they can't listen, they want to make sure the show continues on. Man, if that isn't the peace of mind, you know, as a small business owner who's got to feed his kids by doing this and by somebody who's just looking at the sponsor environment thinking, oh God, you know, like when I see that, I just think, we're going to be all right. You know what? We got, we got some really awesome listeners out there. And Magnolia Mayhem's showing up over in, in the Matrix, too. It, so it's, it's a little crazy here. Like, we're talking out of sync. 
via the show. Uh, yeah. But then yeah. we're seeing like <laughs> sync things over in, in the main. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, amazing. all of this is amazing. The Golden Dragon boosted in with a row of ducks as well. Fantastic show, guys. Here are some sats for Drew and his amazing audio work. You're here to that. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, uh, Golden Dragon 2, for making sure that from time to time we take a moment to appreciate Drew's hard work. I, I, I know that, that every now and then people think of Drew, but, you know, he he's a big part of this show. And he's a silent member often. I mean, he's been on the show, obviously, but he's kind of a silent participant. So. Yeah, he's he's helping shape the, the final yep. show that actually goes out. Yep. And... If you've ever appreciated those chapter markers. Right. The chapter titles are that's, all true, but, that's but it's not just that too. It's like he helps each one of us make sure that our audio sounds good. He, he knows us individually and he is able to respond to us on our individual terms in a way that is insightful and helpful and also kind. And uh, he cuts us when we say dumb things. That's true. Yeah, that's also really great. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> He's also quite handsome. You know, yeah, putting that yeah, out there. yeah, and and a nice guy, and also fun to hang out with. I miss him. Yeah. Pooh Bear boosted in with eight thousand three hundred and forty-three sets. Coming in hot with the boost. <laughs> hey, are there any updates on the JB geocaches? I have a spot in mind where I'd like to set one up. Demographics are, I live in Redding, California. I've listened for about eight years. I listen to all the JB shows typically every single week, and I normally listen when watching and answering tickets at my desk. That's a great question. That is a really great question. Hey, Jeff, I have, uh, I have another thing for our to-do list that we were building this morning. I'll put it on the list. I think we should add, like, create a geocache email account or something that people could email and we could start collecting these now. What, what, what should the email address for that be? Do you really want to set up an email address? Yeah, you know, well, because here's the idea is uh, I think we need to start collecting where people want to hide stuff. So we get an idea of interest because if you think about this from a building a product standpoint, if we could just pre-launch with a few addresses already in there before people even send them in, that could be actually kind of helpful. So what I think all we need to do is start collecting now because my thought with the geocache stuff has been, Let's just hit the pause button until spring and then start building it in the spring when people are getting out and about. When the ground has thought. Yeah. But when we do launch something, it would be good to have some stuff in there and not launch it with an empty database. Might I suggest that maybe our GitHub is a better place? Yes. I know where there have been some discussions around how to solve this geocaching problem and how to create kind of a JB geocache platform that we can use so I am tempted to steer people towards okay. some issues that we've had there discussing this very fact. The GitHub, maybe we could put a link in the notes. Um, Can do. And then also, let's. Jeff's going to join us on Office Hours. Let's pick this up on Office Hours and and talk about it a little bit there, because I think that's probably the the appropriate venue for that. Um, all right, let's keep going then. I, I wanted to include this boost. It's below our minimum threshold, but I thought it was really nice. Uh, Gort Brown comes in with five hundred sats. Uh, happy 500, y'all. I started listening a couple of years ago, a bit before episode 400, and I've been having a lot of fun learning about all sorts of cool Linux-related things from you guys. I'm curious, what made you decide to start podcasting about Linux and technology or just in general? So I, this kind of felt like a 500-ish episode yeah. uh, question, so I wanted to get it in as our, our pre-teaser to 500 because this is a story I've told a few times, so it felt like this would be one to be okay to, uh, to lead with. Um so that way we keep it fresh in 500. 
when I was a younger man, I was driven by pushing back against common misconceptions. <laughs> Wes. <laughs> Wes says so much with a smile. I swear to God, it's mm-hmm. so funny. Because he knows he knows where I'm going, like immediately, because he knows me. Um, and, you know, I, I have actually, I have drifted from this, but in my early 20s and mid-20s and late 20s and early 30s, I was... <laughs> I was a really strong, um, passionate Linux advocate, an evangelist, you might say. And uh, I evangelized Linux to my clients through my businesses. And um, I was an IT person that really focused on solving problems where Linux could kind of come in and do it cheaper, better, faster than Windows or Unix or whatever. And uh, I was discovering things that Linux was capable of that nobody was talking about, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, in the in the uh, in the backyard of Microsoft. Nobody was talking about some of this stuff. And I was having some hands on experiences where Windows just couldn't scale NT back then. To be honest with you, it was NT4 and and then Windows 2000, which is really NT5, could not scale. It just couldn't. It could not do it. And Linux could do it without even like breaking a sweat. And it was like. You know, as a technology person, you're like, wow, this thing is free. I didn't have to put in a CD key to install it. And it's not even breaking a sweat. And it's like handling it. And then over here, there's like this Windows thing. It can't even keep up with it. I have to like buy it. I have to put in the CD key. And then it crashes all the time. It was like a night and day difference. And I I needed a platform to just espouse how incredible this was and try to convince the world that they were on the wrong track with Windows and commercial software and they needed to try Linux and they needed to try free software. And my buddy Brian was down to talk about that stuff and uh, he knew more about the audio stuff than I did too and he had his own set of thoughts and you know he was a provocative thinker. He, he remains a provocative thinker and he thinks about stuff deeply. And so it made for a great time to sit down and talk about something that was new and and just really kind of rich in, in, in a full tapestry of things to talk about. And then little did I know what it could develop into. Right. And it just kind of from there exploded. And uh, we've been doing it ever since. I mean, honestly, we we really started podcasting back in 2005 before it was podcasting. We experimented with different technologies and then we really kind of got the wind under our wings in 2009, 2008, really 2007, that those years. And then from then, it's just been every week nonstop. Um, and if you want to boost in for our 500th episode, you can boost in with at least 9,529 sats. Of course, you're welcome to boost more and see if you can help us on those charts. Just mention it's for fi- episode 500. I'm setting all those aside for the big 500 next week. Now, how do you boost? A couple of different options there. You can get a new podcast app if you're ready to go all in on podcasting. Just go to newpodcastapps.com. I love Podverse because it's GPL and it's cross-platform. I think Fountain's pretty neat because you can earn sats just by listening. And Castomatic's fantastic because if you're an iOS user, they're focusing on the iOS experience. But I love Podverse, GPL, and they use Albi, which is fantastic because you can then boost from the web with Albi. You can boost from other apps. And eventually, when AntennaPod comes around, eventually, you'll be able to boost from AntennaPod with Albi as well. A lot of options there. There's links in the show notes. We have a boost page on our website as well. If you've been hearing us talk about this and you need an excuse to try it, maybe it's episode 500. Give it a go. You know what? I promise your dick won't fall off. It'll be fine. 
go give it a go. Let us know what you think. And I'd like to know the experience, too, because each path you take, depending on which route you take, much like Zelda, depending on the route you take, either it is excruciating or it is exceptionally easy. So let us know how that goes as well. Now, our pick this week, well, it's kind of obvious because if you're messing around at all with a with any kind of GPU, be it the Intel Arc, be it an NVIDIA card, GPU Viewer is just one of those apps that is a must-have. It'll give you all the details about what's going on. And if you're curious about like what your system supports, what protocols and standards or whatever, API, whatever you want to call it, I don't care. You don't care. But you want to know if your computer supports it? GPU Viewer. That'll tell you. Now, you can get it any way you want. I have linked it in those show notes to the beta page for FlatHub. So you can get a little taste. I see what you're doing here. Get a little taste. Look at that callback. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Go try it out. You notice, actually, for GPU Viewer, they do have a donate button. You suppose that's going to tie in with uh, Albi? Oh, PayPal. And it looks like it's some sort of currency that sucks a lot more than my currency. So I... Anyways, but they're working on that, right? They're going to integrate with Stripe. That's what they... I noticed, Chris, in our Matrix room, Dan Johansson uh, is the maintainer of GPU Viewer. Wait. AUR package. Dan, you are? Yeah. Dan, oh, and Arch? Yeah, the AUR package. Dan, you're doing the people's work there. I appreciate that. Now, why did you choose, out of all of the things you could spend your time on, why GPU Viewer? I was actually approached by the maintainer of the software. Oh. Plucked. So you were you were handpicked and you were just doing it out of the goodness of your heart. I thought maybe you were going to tell me like you had like this crazy NVIDIA card and you were trying to solve a problem with GPU viewer and you were so motivated by this moment that was influential in your Linux experience that you now are the maintainer. But what it is, is that you're just a good guy and you're donating your time because somebody asked you to. Yeah. That happens a lot, Chris. Yes. Thank you yeah, from thank all you. of us. Yes, thank you to Dan and thank you to everybody out there who does that kind of stuff. It it makes the difference, right? I mean, as Linux users, it just makes it a really fun experience for us. So we really, really appreciate it. Episode 500 will be live next week at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. And you can watch it on our self-hosted PeerTube instance at jupiter.tube time in your local time zone at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar what do you think Wes should we tell them about Linux Action News oh we might as well they would have already heard those clips yep yeah and we blathered on a little bit more about 6.2 if yep. that's up your alley and Plasma 527 oh and of course as Gnome 44 gets close to release it'll be included over there at Linux Action News plus anything that impacts the industry so if you're working in the industry day to day and you need to know about it we cover it at Linux Action News but as for us here at Linux Unplugged, well, you can find everything we talked about at linuxunplugged.com slash 499. Thanks so much for joining us. See you right back here next Sunday. JBTitles.com. Let's go boat. 
Last moments to get your title in? <laughs> what? What was that? Oh, we use the Matrix now. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Every time you mention it, everyone's like, JV titles isn't working. Why do I do? Is it in the doc? Is it in the doc? No. No, it's not. It's, I got to get out It's been you. 10 years. I need to retire, dude. It's need, built in. I need to retire. <laughs> Can we just fix this already? Can we just fix this? We could this? just forward it to the Matrix like, like invite. Here's what I think we've all assumed would happen is that I would figure it out. And then... <laughs> I haven't. Most of the website is built on the fact that you haven't figured most <laughs> things out. We just make it work. 